You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. So blessed to be able to worship and fellowship with you and just gather. You know, Sundays are a place that we gather as the church body of, of believers around our Savior and our great God. And it's a way to be unified and centered and like stop for a moment and to gather around Jesus. And so it's so much more than like, hey, let's sing some songs and let's drink some coffee and see our friends. It's like gathering around the person of Jesus Christ who we love and adore and like hearing from him. And so, so blessed and honored to like do it with you week in and week out. Um, If you don't know me, um, Riz, the pastor here at Reality Honolulu, and uh, it's really a joy and an honor to be used by the Lord in this way, um, and specifically in teaching God's word. It's not an easy thing. It's not a, 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 man, it's it's a a thing that we really um, exalt here, the teaching of God's word, and so I'm humbled and honored to be able to do it uh, weekly for you guys. So let's turn to the book that we're studying, Philippians 3, 12 through 16 is our text today. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Um, We've been working our way through this letter since October. So we're taking our time, going through it, and just going slow and tackling and studying whatever comes in the text. We don't dodge it. We just, hey, this is what God's word says. This is what it's communicating. And so how does that apply to us? What does that look like here in Hawaii in 2019? How does that shape our lives? How should it inform us? How ought we to live in accordance to God's word? And today we're studying verses 12 through 16 of chapter 3. But what I want to do, just for context's sake, because uh, again, this is a letter, so it's not supposed to be chopped up like we do. It's supposed to be written as a letter should, but just for time's sake and for context's sake, it'll help with our text today, is I want to read um, from verse 1 of chapter 3. So I want to read the, um, chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 16. Um, I'm reading from the NIV, so it might be a little different than yours. But here is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. He says this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, our text this morning. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word this morning. And we take it as that, as living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's God-breathed and God-inspired, and it's profitable to equip us for every good work. Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us this morning? Would you prepare our hearts to receive, to, to hear what you have for us this morning? God, each of us are dealing with unique issues and unique problems, have unique responsibilities, different families, different upbringings, different jobs. But thank you that you're able to meet us, each of us, where we're at. And you're so good, and you're loving and caring that you really do want to speak to your kids today. And so God, as our Father, we say yes and amen. We want to hear from you. Have your way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to be reminded, Paul is writing this letter. We have four chapters, but originally it was not four chapters. There was no verses. This is a penned letter from Paul the Apostle, and he's writing this letter to a church, to a body of believers just like us in a city called Philippi. And he helped start this church about 10 to 15 years prior to this letter being written. Paul is currently in prison in Rome. He's writing this letter while shackled. Literally, he has chains on his arm as he's writing this letter to believers in the city of Philippi. And he's in prison in Rome for being used by God to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. He's been doing this for some time, and he's been making Jesus known to Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, all across the Middle East and into Europe. Several missionary journeys, boats and donkeys and walking for days. I mean, he's months at a time. He's been going out from Jerusalem, from Israel, making known the name of Jesus. And he's been in prison for it. He's caused that much of an uproar. He's unsettled the religious and political system that much that he's imprisoned for proclaiming the good news. And this letter that he's writing is a very personal one. It's an affectionate letter to a group of believers to encourage them. And he sees them really as an extension of his family, as, as God's extended family. And even by the vocabulary that Paul uses over and over, even in our text in verse 13 today, he refers to the recipients of this letter as brothers and sisters. Again, he doesn't know all of them. This is a group of believers. You know, some of them, he helps start the church. 
You know, he stayed connected with them, but he's referring to them in a very affectionate, personal way as my family. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. He's speaking to the recipients of this letter in a way of care and concern and love because they share a common father. Their father who is in heaven. That is what makes them family. They've been adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. And so what makes them a family, why this letter is written, is because all of them have been saved from their sin by a gracious and merciful Savior being Christ Jesus. That is their common bond. That is what bonds together the church. That's what makes church a family. That's the beauty of that we're very different and very unique and like probably wouldn't hang out with each other all the time. But Jesus is the thing that unites us. It's the common denominator. It's what brings us together is because we share a Lord. And this letter that Paul is writing not only is it personal, it's affectionate, but is motivated by a life-changing encounter that he himself had on the road to Damascus. Like Paul himself has met with Jesus. He's experienced salvation. He's experienced transformation. Like he, he has known his father. And out of that, like out of that life-changing encounter that he had in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, after this transformative moment, Paul has known and been with and heard from and obeyed Jesus. And he's so in love with God. He's so, he so desires to please God that he really has counted all the costs. He's laid down his whole life, and he's literally about to actually be killed on behalf of the gospel. He's radically living his life so that others would know what he himself has known. He is living out of a very personal experience. And Paul, feeling for, caring about others, he's trying to communicate the vast value of Jesus to this church. This church from what we know of it, must have been under persecution, like any church, hardship. There were so many things pulling their attention that Paul, from a deep affection himself, is reminding and pleading and encouraging them to remember that they've been saved, that they've been set free, that Christ is more valuable than anything. And what Paul is doing today in our specific, specific text is he's bringing up something that's very personal to him. He's dealt with actually his whole life. And something that each of us deal and struggle with and encourages us to look to Christ as well. In a nutshell, this is our text this morning. To not allow the things of our past to hinder our present and future growth, worship, and service to Christ. Paul is very concerned about this. He repeats it several times, and he uses himself as an example. He starts by declaring and saying and reminding them that he is a work in progress. Paul starts our text this morning reminding it, them and making it very clear that he has not, quote-unquote, arrived anywhere. He's somehow attained everything. He's the super elite, 
He's, he's, he's done it. He's checked all the boxes. He's the greatest Christian. Paul is saying, no. I am a work in progress. I'm still being molded into the image of God. And this is so huge and good for us to hear and for them to hear. Because, I mean, if you know anything about Paul, if you remember, Paul was like the man. Paul was like the most passionate, the most go-getter. God was using him like absolutely incredible. Miracles, I mean, it, 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 didn't, it, was, it didn't get better. Like he was passionate and zealous and driven. And there would have been this sense from believers, maybe especially young believers, that just heard stories of Paul, right? They didn't have what we have. They have some letters that Paul's written, but they just hear these stories, you know, of shipwrecks and like all this crazy stuff that God was doing with Paul, imprisonments, God freeing, you know, Paul from prison. But Paul would have been, man, uh, thought of as close to perfect. No issues, no problems, like, oh man, Paul. If anything, Paul would have been on a really big pedestal in their minds. And Paul starts by saying this morning, just remember, I don't have it all together. I'm still a work in progress. I'm still messy. I'm still changing and transforming into the image of God. This is so important that not only do we hear that, but we also know that about ourselves. That we are works in progress. Like we're continuing day after day it's the hope to become more like Jesus. The, the word would be sanctification. After we give our lives to the Lord and we're saved and we're deemed, we are now in this process of becoming freed of sin and becoming more like God. And even though we know this, sometimes we can struggle with thinking, oh, I've been a Christian for this long or that long or so-and-so. Oh, man, they got, to, got it together. But what's so important to remember that Paul reminds us here this morning is that we are all works in progress. What's important, why that's important to remember and believe is so that we don't get big egos and big heads and, let, and think that we all have it together. And it's also in the midst of Christianity and the church, it's so important that we don't put leaders especially church leaders on some pedestal to think somehow they're different than anyone else. This is so important. And what's weird is you, you can even hear people talk about it in a kind of a funny way. Oh, well, like, you know, pastors or leaders, this and that, they're this and that, not like normal Christians. And I laugh at that statement. Like, because I'm like, wait, 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 what are you, th what are you saying? You think like a pastor or a leader somehow is like a superhuman Christian? We're different. We're not like a normal Christian. We're in this like other category that, that we've been put in. And I laugh at this only because the only difference between me and you, leaders, pastors in any church, and anybody that's not a leader or pastor in a church, is our, comes down to calling and, and, and anointing. Like what we're called to do, this is our calling and what comes with that, and hopefully it's anointing. Hopefully you're called, and so God anoints you to do so. But the only difference is like the, the, the what, like what we're doing 
how we're obeying Jesus and how you're obeying Jesus. It's not the who. Still humans. Still like you, works in progress. And pastors. I don't know, if this is, is this burst your bubble? I'm happy to burst your bubble. We fail, we sin, we mess up, we stumble. The danger in the church in recent decades, in America, around the world, honestly, is putting too much emphasis on any single certain person other than Jesus. Put all the emphasis on him. But honestly, like, that's the thing in America. The whole celebrity pastor thing is a thing, unfortunately. There's so much attention on one single person. What happens is, is when these guys fall, the church falls apart, sadly. Because people, we, are putting too much God-like emphasis on a person and not Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is trying to like subtly say, don't do that. Don't look to me as if I'm Jesus. I'm not. I'm in process just like you. And so like, like me, but don't like me too much. Seriously, <laughs> like me, but not like me too much. Keep Jesus the main thing. Look at our great God and Savior who is perfect. So important that we like are reminded of that and practice that. And so what we should do, knowing that all of us, every one of us is still growing and unfinished, what this should trigger is it should trigger humility in us. I hope it does. Okay, yeah, we don't have it all together. Just because, like, I've been in the church forever, just because I've served, just because I've, like, done whatever. Like, I don't have it all together. I'm still in need of growth and growing and the power of the Spirit to change me. But also what this truth should do is it should fill us with grace when others fail us. Like, so many times we put people on this, like, you should treat me perfectly. You should be amazing and never fail me and never make me sad. But it's like, that's not even true of us. What this should remind us of to do is have grace when other people fail us. The main point of what Paul is about to say and try to get across is echoed again in verse 13. He says this, look at, your, look at the text. I do not consider myself yet of taking hold of it. I haven't got it yet. I'm not all put together. But he says, one thing I do. So in other words, I'm not perfect. I'm messy. I'm rough. I'm a work in progress just like you. Again, that should immediately bring us hope. Now we have no excuse. We're all in the same boat. And so what does Paul say? He says, one thing I do, forgetting the past and striving towards ahead. Forgetting the past. Why Paul is so concerned about our past, he brings it up few times. We need to forget the past. We need to strive towards Christ. Why he is so concerned about our past here is he knows, and we also may have learned by now, this truth, that our present and our future growth in Christ hinges upon us dealing correctly with our past. Let me say that again. Our present and our future growth in Christ hinges upon us dealing correctly with our past. This is a huge thing that we've been speaking about for a few weeks now and we'll continue to pray into and press into. But Paul here, 
knows from experience how your past can affect the current and future work of God in you. And so he wants to make it really clear. Again, remember, it's coming from a place of care. He's coming from a place of really feeling that, 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 that our past can really affect what God wants to do in us now and in the future. But let's look at, for a second, the context of where Paul is writing this from. It's another reason why I re- wanted to read the whole of chapter 3. Paul was just talking all about his upbringing, his family, his education, his accomplishments. If, if you didn't catch that, or if you weren't here last week, Paul was groomed by his family. Socially, and economic status was a part of it for something that he was supposed to be doing. Even before birth. Even the fact that he was an Israelite. Something that he couldn't have tried to do. Just by birth, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. These are all really good things. Like elite things. He was groomed, even by his nationality and his ethnicity, his family and his social and economic status for something. And Paul, he did it all to a T. Born in the right tribe, did the right traditions. He had the best rabbi disciple him, best you could get, best education. He executed his Jewishness with zeal. That's what he's saying in chapter three. I performed well. I accomplished a lot. And it's true. He was famous. He had status. He was making a name for himself. But God was calling him out of that to something else. Other than like the killing Christian part, the other stuff wasn't and isn't inherently bad. All that... that how he grew up and what his family wanted and what he was born into and his education. That stuff is not inherently bad. But God was calling Paul to something else. And Paul had to break out of what his family and his upbringing wanted for him. He is and is continually fighting against this. This, In context, this is part of what Paul is speaking about. I think sometimes we think Paul is like a robot, maybe, like a soldier, and he has no feelings. But thinking of Paul, he had to wrestle with that. He had to wrestle with giving up his whole upbringing and his education and his aspirations as, as, the, as the Jew of Jews. I mean, he had it. He was making a name for himself. He would run into people he knew. I'm sure his family was talking to him. I'm sure he was a disappointment to a lot of people. We only hear the, the, the Christian Paul side. Paul had to wrestle with real feelings and real struggles with his upbringing. And he had to give it up for the sake of the gospel. And so part of what Paul is saying, like, I I need to forget the past because for him, his calling, what God was leading, was not these other things. And it was really hard. But he had to do it to obey Christ. And for us, here's the deal. I I do not mean to be disrespectful. Here's a precursor. And I don't want all your parents calling me. They might after this. 
but depending on our own upbringing with our family. This may really resonate with you, maybe really prevalent. Maybe a lot was expected. Best school, involved all the sports, play music so that you can get into the best college, so you can get masters, you can get a doctorate, so you can get the best job. Then you can move up your job, you can make money, have a family, buy a house, have a good portfolio, and then retire. Well, none of that is inherently bad. What I'm not saying is education or working hard or trying to do well, thing, well at things are, are, are bad in any way. But there is a chance that God has something different for you. I don't mean to cut out all the money your parents spent and, and their plans and their heart and like they really want the best. I'm not saying that all that's bad. But what is more important is that we obey the leading of God over our family expectations. I know I'm in risky waters. I understand that. But this is something that Paul walked through himself and something that we also need to assess and to be open to God changing. Dude, it was not easy for Paul to like get a new career path at his age and all that he did. Neither is it gonna be for us. Paul was like the Jew of Jews and all of a sudden he became a persecuted Christian and like a tent maker and now he's in prison. But he's obeying the will of the Father. And if you read the letter, what it's done despite his circumstances is give him a deep joy of obedience. And the reason, the reason why Paul is bringing this up and the reason why I do today is that if we're holding on to something from our past that we shouldn't be, it will hinder us from getting what we're supposed to get from God. Even the good things, the things that we've worked hard for, all of that. Again, it's just something to assess and bring to the Lord and be open to God leading in a different direction. What Paul also is speaking about when he says we need to forget our past and strain towards Christ is he is speaking of his very sinful life prior to that conversion moment on the road to Damascus. Paul would admit, and it's probably kind of true, that he was the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners. Like, if there's anybody that we could say, oh, who's like the worst? Who's like fought against God? Who's like the king and leader of the rebellion against God and his people? Paul, hands down. You did terrible, horrific things. Terrible, horrific things. He lived a long time for himself against God. And he sinned a lot before coming to Christ. Like he has got, if you have baggage, he's got more. If you've got junk, he's got more. Paul is saying, we all have a past. We all have stuff. We all have life prior to conversion. And we need to lay that down at the feet of Jesus. So we, we, all, we all deal with it. What Paul is saying, he's talking to us about forgetting our own past prior to Christ, and he's exhorting us 
Gusty winds. Okay, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Uh, <clears throat> what he's saying, you guys good? Okay. They're closed. We're fairly safe. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Um, <clears throat> what Paul is speaking about to Philippi, what he's speaking about to us, is our life prior to crust, excuse me, not crust, I'm thrown off a little bit by the wind, I'll be honest. Uh, Our life prior to Christ, when, you guys good? I know pizza, I know, I know, I know, sorry, sorry. Our life prior to Christ, when we were enslaved to sin, because we were. Sin was our master, and whether we thought that or not, That's what was happening. We obeyed our master. Our master is our selfish, independent nature, and so we obeyed it, lived it out. And that's messed messed all of us up. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need a savior, because we have a desperate need that we've fallen from God's grace, and we've messed it up, and we've messed other people up, and we're a mess, a lot of times why you come to Christ because, you, you know, you're at a breaking point. You're at a, uh, you lose hope. Like, you see the severity of your sin and what you've done. And some of us have felt the extent of that more than others, right? Some of us, like, we, we didn't get saved till we were, like, later on in life. So there's been, like, a lot of time where we've sinned. Or it's, like, your lifestyle prior to Christ, regardless of age, was, like, wow, you were burning the wick and you were, um, you were the king of sinners, so to speak. The reason why Paul says not only do we need to, but why we can forget, why we can move on, is because of what Christ has done for us. See, our worth and value and identity is not wrapped up in our accolades or our expectations or our successes, and especially not in our failures. If we have given, surrendered, and allowed Jesus to be our Lord, what that does is it actually brings new life. The Bible speaks of literally being born again. We're new creations. We've been forgiven of that sin, all of it, and we're able to start over. Fresh start. Like, that's literally the good news of the gospel, Regardless of the severity of your sinful life and what you've done to yourself and other people, God says, by the cross, I forgive you. Now start over. Like, start over. You talk about, like, second chances in life. The gospel is the greatest second chance because it wraps up your entire identity and future and hope in it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Paul's other letter to the Corinthian church, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Psalm 103, for his, God's unfailing love towards us who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above above the earth. He has removed our sins As far as from the east is from the west. Why Paul is saying that we can forget is he's reminding us of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 
He came so that you could start over. He came to forgive your sins, to wash you as white as snow, to pay the debt that you had created with sin against God. It's the the get out of jail free card. It's the start over. You're free. You no longer are in bondage to sin, but you're free to love God. Paul, also in Romans, he expands on this truth, why we can forget, why we're forgiven, why we can move on, why we can lay down our old sinful life. He says this, Romans 6, I have it on the screen, about 10 or so verses. It says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we, now, uh, we know we also live with him. Verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead... Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Amen? Like, that is what Paul is talking about. This is why you can move on. This is why you can start over. But what happens is we struggle to receive this. We struggle to receive God's grace and forgiveness. Because what happens is, is naturally, right, we may be triggered by our past. Memories, people. Maybe you run into a person. Maybe someone calls you out of the blue. Maybe it's like a nightmare, honestly. There's stuff that triggers this. And what can happen is that we can begin to look back into the past, fall into the trap, and ultimately we fail to forgive our our own selves and move on. So many times be in a counseling meeting or be talking through things and people are having trouble growing, people have trouble moving on. And what happens is, is there's there's this deep belief that God forgave me, but I cannot forgive myself. Can't move on. I can't, I regret, I, I, I can't move on. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I've done. This is what I did forever. I don't know anything else. Jesus paid for all of that. He paid with his life so that we can not, he can only forgive us, but forget and move on and lay all that down at the feet of Jesus. If we don't properly receive the grace and forgiveness of God, what will happen is that our past 
can paralyze and prevent us from living into the fullness of what God has for us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't mean what happened isn't important, but it's covered by the blood. You're forgiven. Receive grace. Receive forgiveness. Paul says, he says, forget the past. Christ paid for that. But strain for what is ahead. This is why, like, Paul, this is Paul's personal exhortation to the church is, is to strive to lay sin and lay junk and lay stuff down and walk with and towards Christ. And, he, and he, even, like, the language he uses, he talks about Christ being our prize and our goal. The idea here is that what we're supposed to do, instead of living in our past, dwelling in our past, regretting it, not receiving grace, not receiving forgiveness, he's saying, run into the arms of the Father. Receive his grace, receive his mercy, experience his love. Your sins are wiped clean, you have a fresh start, a do-over, a clean slate, you've been born again. But Paul's exhortation is strong. He says, straining towards pressing towards. It's a battle to do this. It's not just easy. Like, let me just forget the 40 years that I just lived in sin and move on and start over. It comes back. It's triggered. Things come back to haunt you, so to speak. What Paul is saying here is this is a battle. This is a fight. If you know anything about your flesh or the enemy, he loves to have you live in the past. He loves to remind you of your sin and your shortcomings, and the way you hurt people. That is where the enemy in your flesh want you to live. In your regret, what you did, what you had, what you didn't do, what you gave up to follow Jesus. That is, what, that is where your past wants you to live. But what Paul is saying here, what the word of God is saying to us as believers, is that we need to press and strain and press into God and who he is and towards him. We need to live into what God has done and who we are in Christ. To receive grace, to receive mercy, to receive forgiveness for ourselves. And Paul's exhortation would be many times is like a, like a runner. He uses running or, or a race as an analogy a lot. And, you know, what you would tell someone if you're running a race is, don't look back. Run all the way through it. Be confident. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't be, like, be comfortable and confident and go for it. And this is what, like, the, the idea that Paul is saying here is he's saying to us in our walks, like, leave that. That's Jesus's. He paid for that. Don't pick it up. It's not yours to pick up. He put that in the grave. Leave it. It's, it's supposed to be in the grave. He's saying, pick up new life, run towards Christ, and don't look back, and don't settle. I know you might be thinking, well, but, 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 those are for the grave. Leave those at the feet of Jesus and receive grace and mercy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that our identity is rooted in the cross. Our worth is rooted in your love. That we are not defined by our sin. We're not defined by our deeds. We're not defined by what we did or didn't do. 
that we, as your sons and daughters, our worth, our value, our purpose comes from knowing Christ. God, would you help us, though? Would you help us to live out this new life? As, as Paul would say, to strain towards, to press into Christ. Help us, Lord, to really receive your forgiveness, receive your grace. God, would you even show us areas where we may be picking up the past and we shouldn't, dwelling on things that you've already forgiven? God, we want to grow. We want to become more like Jesus. Just as Paul would say, we haven't arrived yet. We're works in progress. God, we say yes and amen to that. Continue your work in us. But Lord, first and most importantly, we want to worship you now. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to worship you because you're worthy to be praised. God, you're worthy of these songs. You're worthy of us raising our hands. You're worthy of us kneeling on the ground. You're worthy of praise and adoration. And so God, we ask that you would have your way with us during this worship time as a way of response that you'd meet with us and commune with us and that we'd be, you'd be lifted and exalted in this place.